Hello and welcome once again to The Brave Front, the men's mental health podcast that combines inspiring stories with insightful expertise. My name's Tim Bainan and if you're new to the show, The Brave Front is all about real life stories from people who have overcome adversity, done something incredible or defied the odds, learning lessons and inspiring others along the way. It's also about opening our eyes to new possibilities, courtesy of people who teach, study, write, speak, and generally know much more than the rest of us about men's mental health. And of course, it's about you. Whether you're listening because you're facing your own mental health challenges, because you're interested in the subjects, or because you just downloaded the wrong show, none of us is immune from poor mental health. So you can be a part of the show too. Follow us on whatever platform you get your podcasts, as well as on social media, where you can take part in polls, answer our episode questions, and even come on the show as a guest yourself. For now, though, let's crack on with the show. So here's what's coming up in the next hour. My behaviours were, I was erratic, I was highly reactive, I wasn't able to read social cues, I could burn bridges and torch everybody in the village and on the bridge at the same time. People need five things, right? They need to feel significant. They need a sense of belonging. They need to receive empathy, yeah, even even from men. They need acknowledgement. That's very much a masculine thing that's really helpful for men. And they need validation. So they need, need to know that what they feel is valid, what their experiences is valid. We need those five things. Everyone needs those five things. Being a nice guy is essentially the same as being a nice girl. It's like it's growing up believing that in order to get your needs met, you have to take of other take care of other people's needs first and that you have to not have any needs of your own. You have to self-abandon, like abandon anything that you want to be doing in life in order to make other people happy. Those were the dulcet tones of Andy Nathan, a men's coach and mentor who works with men to help them overcome a host of personal and emotional challenges, to develop resilience, to build stronger, more fulfilling relationships, to shake off the things that are holding them back, and to ultimately help us all to reach our full potential. But what is coaching all about? Do you and I really need it? And what's the difference between a coach and a therapist? I wanted to find out from the man himself. So in the course of the conversation you're about to hear, I sought to find out what difference a professional men's coach can make, why some of us, according to Andy, have a problem with lone wolfing, and why nice guy syndrome might be doing us more harm than good. Andy, welcome to the Brave Front. Fantastic to see you. So glad you could join us today. Where are you? Where do we find you today? Is it as cold with you as it is with me at the moment? Probably it's... Well, it was minus one about two hours ago, so it might be a bit colder. I'm in Musselburgh, which is literally next door to Edinburgh, about four miles from the city centre of Edinburgh. Nice. And what is it? What is it? An average? What day of the week is it today? It's a, it's a when? It's nice. A Thursday today, isn't it? What is the Thursday? Thursday having store for you? Oh God, that's a great question. An average Thursday looks like getting up, doing some, doing some stretching, some just opening my spine, moving my body doing a workout, like a short 15-minute workout, doing some journaling. And then it's it's either preparation, it's content creation. It might be creating sessions for the MAN program, content creation for 
social media or um, client sessions. Nice. Or maybe planning something like this weekend. We've got a festival in Edinburgh called Flare Festival. So I'm doing two sessions there, one on the Saturday and one on the Sunday. And it's just getting an idea of what I want to be talking about for those. That Nice. That's well, it sounds very much like you're the master of your own destiny in a lot of ways. It sounds like you've got it all under control. Sounds good. Yeah, it's good that it sounds like that. <laughs> nice. Now, listen, listen you're a professional coach and, and mentor. I want to dig into that a little bit, find out a bit more about what that cool. means and what, what's involved yeah. in that. And a bit about the man program, because you, you mentioned it just a second ago, and I'm keen to find out what that involves. So first off, for people who, who you know, uh, might not be familiar with what a, a men's coach and mentor is, tell us a bit about, about how you help people and what that involves. Gosh. I would say the simplest way of describing it is I um, model all of the different aspects of what being a man is to men who may not be aware of that, who may not have had an experience of that in their lives, so may have challenges, wounding with masculinity in their childhood that may show up as avoidance or anxiety in romantic relationships. It may show up as um, issues with self-discipline or self-trust. There may be addiction. So m my role is to to be kind, to hold up a mirror as well, to show the people that I work with what's going on, what they're what they're doing, rather than um, I guess it's the opposite of mothering and smothering. You know, my my job isn't to to, to nurture. Is not to turn them into overly feminized men, and I was one of those. It's not to make think that they can continue to uh, tell themselves lies about what they're doing and that there aren't any consequences and that it's okay. It's to get them to see that really being authentic, being authentically who they are means being being honest with what they're doing, with how they're showing up, and doing it without shaming, so without using toxic shame like, I'm a piece of shit, there's something wrong with me, I'm broken, I'm useless, blah, 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 blah. You know, we know where that goes with men, right? That goes down to suicide eventually. So it's finding a way to model to them that they can be honest and that they don't have to feel shame about it and that there's learning. There's always treasure in life's experiences. So my job is to find a way to model that by how I'm behaving, by my lived example, by the way that, you know, I show up on good days and bad days and good moments in in ugly moments and how I you know can use my life's um, my life as an example as a teaching point so I try I try to model authenticity honesty um, that that in in essence is what I do and how how that works is if it's mentorship it'll be conversations with men in groups that I'm a part of so it'll be being a friend it'll be kind of showing them the way unless someone wants to hire me as a mentor, in which case I'll be guiding them. As a coach, it's different. A coach isn't so much about guiding. It's, I mean, there is an element of that, but it's really about a lot of what I do is very untypical for a coach. Most coaches don't do the therapeutic stuff. I'm very much into the therapeutic stuff, so I can go into childhood trauma. I can hold trauma. I know lots of different psychotherapeutic processes that I can use. I was thinking, well, what, what is the crucial difference then between therapy and coaching? Because there sounds like there's a, there's a bit of a gray. Is there a gray area there, or is there is there I a feel, distinction between two? I feel like I feel like for a lot of coaches, particularly newly trained coaches, there's a distinction. And 
The distinction is that therapy looks at the past and helps you unpick and figure out what's going on beyond like the meaning that you're created so you can really see what's going on and um so you can really understand what's going on a lot of it will be talking about feelings and stuff like that and exploring uh, difficult times in the past and coaching is i mean this is this doesn't apply to me but a lot of people would say that coaching is just about moving you forwards finding out where you're getting in your own way and helping you get out of your way so you can move forwards but from my perspective and using my life as as my experience i'm creating a modality of my own so i'm creating a method of my own and that is a result of having had lots of different kinds of therapies lots of different kinds of coaching lots of different kinds of work with trauma and bringing that all together in a way that has always worked for the people that that i've worked with and as i'm going through what i'm doing with my clients in different programs in on retreats in person you know, online, I'm just pulling this stuff together. So it's, I don't really sounds, like to label. Sure. I would say, it's, it, I mean, it sounds fascinating. It sounds like you're kind of, your role is to empower people to help themselves to a, to a degree as well. Is that fair? hundred percent. Yeah. Because it, in the role of like the man program's motto is empowering men. By the way, I'm not just a man program. I am a coach separately, but the man program's motto is empowering men, creating role models. And the definition of empowerment that I like is being able to trust yourself to navigate whatever life throws at you. That sense of power inside of yourself that, you know, I can find a way essentially and getting someone to that point when there's, if you think about over the whole of our lifetime, everything, every experience we've ever had from being in the womb to being now is stored in our deeply in our unconscious and that stuff just pops up, you know, up to 95% of the time to direct our thoughts, words and behaviours. We have to, I feel like we really have to understand that, particularly men have to understand their own psychology because when they do and when they know that there are certain models and systems and processes that, that demonstrate that they're not broken, that it's actually a result of X, Y, Z happening, when they understand that, it's like, oh, cool, okay, cool. There's nothing wrong with me. Nope textbook like we had this joke on the retreat i just taught textbook would be like textbook ah. so it takes the shame away it's like that's what's happening here there's a process it's happening because of xyz oh cool so there's nothing wrong with me no cool i feel empowered now what can i do okay well let's see w- what you want to do and what is getting in the way so that's kind of it it involves all of that but absolute empowerment sure well that sounds sounds great all for empowerment but t- Tell me a little bit about how you got to the place you are today. So your personal journey in terms of, you know, things you might have struggled with in the past. And I'm assuming you've got, as you say, you've got lived experience of, of you know, you, you practice what you what you preach and you've got lived experience of, of being in a in a vulnerable place yourself. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to, to be where you are now. Very simply, it just happened by accident. Moving into Moving into the idea of being coached happened. I was working for working in the corporate world and one of my friends who is also now one of my clients recommended this uh, this chap called David Ferris who is a an NLP practitioner and a life coach and said that I might benefit from working with him and what was going on for me at the time I'll tell you the symptoms my behaviors were I was erratic I was highly reactive 
I wasn't able to read social cues. I could burn bridges and torch everybody in the village and on the bridge at the same time and then carry a huge amount of regret and guilt. And I I had no idea what was going on. I just thought that's how I was and I was broken. I struggled to concentrate. I struggled with focus. I hadn't had a huge amount of anxiety in relationships. I carried a general sense of unease and dissatisfaction. I felt completely stuck in life and like there were no there was no no way out. Uh, I didn't I didn't think that I could do anything with my life other than be employed by somebody else and hate it and think fuck my life. And that's all rooted in childhood. That's rooted in sexual abuse that was deeply buried not within my family, but outside of that, that's rooted in bullying, that's rooted in lots of different kinds of things, like chaotic home where there was a lot of insecurity and inconsistency with the way that love was shown with my parents, even though they were they're great human beings. There was just a lot of chaos there. And then moving into the, you know, the corporate world, I got held up in an armed robbery. Lots of different kinds of things happened over my life. And I didn't understand myself. And eventually, ironically... It was only after getting an injury when I was running, training for a marathon, that the physiotherapist suggested that I try yoga. And uh, at that point, I was not open to anything woo-woo, anything like that, particularly where there'd be a lot of women involved because I didn't understand the concept of shame, but I did understand that I might be humiliated and look like a complete fool. And I definitely didn't want to do that. But I did it anyway. And... It just opened up a whole world to me, ultimately connecting out of my brain and my dysregulated thoughts and the victimhood and all of the other stuff that I was carrying around with me. I realized that the answer to a lot of stuff lived in my body and also a community that was very, very welcoming and compassionate, something that in my experience, in my friend group, where if something happened or I was talking about something that was bothering me, what I'd be met with was either I'll just have another drink or don't worry about it, which is like the classic thing that, that a lot of men can be on the receiving end of. Fast forwards 15 years, ended up going on a hell of a personal journey, having to get a lot of support for myself because once I was doing stuff consciously with my body, like moving and breathing with your body doesn't sound like it does a lot on the surface, but actually what's happening is you're integrating a disconnection between feeling and thinking. And when you integrate that connection between feeling like the body, the somatic process of soma, which is a great word for body, and it, and and everything that lives in it, our bodies store all of our emotions that haven't been expressed. They store all of our unconscious patterns. Everything that we've experienced is stored in our body. And where there's a disconnection from our, our head and our heart or our body and our brain, it's because we've deliberately disconnected because of what's happened and that's trauma right and there's we all have micro traumas you know times when we dissociate and then i started to, when i started to understand what was coming up for me in yoga classes and the big feelings i was having had another route then i started to get support for that in lots of different ways and then i started to, when that stuff really started to work for me even though i still by then I'd left work and I was working as a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. Then I started getting qualifications for it because I saw the change. And it, I just just went down a rabbit hole, my friend. And here I am now really working on 
really working on what it is to be a man myself. You know, that's a focus that I set myself a couple of years ago. And to do that, I had to well, realize that I had to face all of the issues that I had with men. Yeah. You know, that I felt that men were overly dominating, they were controlling, um, that they were arrogant, that they were all of the, you know, they were alpha, that I that you know, why can't I be like, why can't I be like a soft man? Why do I have to be this hard, strong man? And so I had to actually confront what Carl Jung would call the shadow, like this, this idea that all of these parts of me that I'd repressed to fit in, to be liked by women, essentially, by my mum and then, you know, so forth after that from childhood, I'd suppressed masculinity, what it was to be a man. We know that it's a world that we live in right now. It's complex. You know, what is it? What is being a man? Like, what is a man's role? How does a man show up? How does a man need to behave? And they're, they're actually, you know, they're complex questions if we haven't understood what masculinity is and we don't understand what masculine psychology is and what what our potential as men is. So that's that is, is kind of moved from trauma into that and then the trauma that men face. That's been my journey. It's like a never-ending spiral. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it sounds like quite a transformative journey for you. Put it all down to to jumping on a yoga mat. I love, I love that. That's, exactly. That's fascinating. Yeah, in a running injury and yeah. then going to yoga. Yeah. Well, you know, I just started not yoga, Pilates. Just started Pilates. And as someone who runs a lot and doesn't yes. do that, I feel like the Tin Man when I'm get on a. I am the most inflexible person, so I might have to might have to swap that for yoga and try that. But I wanted to talk to you. I spotted something on Instagram when you said yeah. that uh, it used to be pretty anti-talking about stuff. And especially in group situations, I think you said. Obviously, now that is, that is you know, a large part of your life, you know, talking to other people and, and, sort of, yeah. um, and, and doing that. So what brought about that, that change in terms of, you know, being someone who, who was, was anti-talking to someone who was absolutely pro and making a living and a life out of talking? Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, there's many layers to this as well. So um, I think in essence, I, um, I didn't realize that certainly before I began this, this healing journey, I didn't really like people. I, I wouldn't have considered myself an introvert, but I was very untrusting of people. I didn't feel safe around people, but I didn't realize it. I definitely felt threatened, but I didn't realize it. I felt in competition, but I didn't realize it. So there's all, all of this kind of stuff going on where people were either agreeing with me, in which case they were great, or if they were disagreeing with me or challenging, then they were a problem and I had to not spend any more time with them or fire them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's essentially that survival mode. That's the sympathetic nervous system, highly dysregulated nervous system, which I had no idea about at the time. So now, understanding the value, I mean, people need five things, right? They need to feel significant. They need a sense of belonging. They need to receive empathy, yeah, even even from men, even though that's kind of a more feminine kind of thing. They need to receive empathy. They need acknowledgement. That's very much a masculine thing that's really helpful for men. And they need validation. So they need, need to know that what they feel is valid, what their experience is, is valid. We don't have to agree with it. But we're like, I get that. I get how you might feel like that. We need those five things. Everyone needs those five things. So now I understand that. 
that's what I offer to people in my work. And it's different depending on whether I'm working with men or women. Because it has to be. Because men have a unique set of problems and challenges to women. And men need to be treated in a different way. And this comes down to the psychology of mothering and fathering. And mothering being something that... This is something I talk about in the man program a lot. Mothering is something that children need from... Particularly men, particularly boys, right? That they need from the age of when they're born to about 10 and a half, 11. Yeah, they need nurture. They need encouragement. They need someone to help them when they're, you know, give them lots of cuddles, give them lots of empathy. Whatever they need, you know, when they fall over to kiss their knee, all of that kind of stuff, they need that. They need to know that there is that in the world and that it's safe for them to have feelings and stuff. And then onwards, from like 11 onwards, the role of the father is, is to, guide to acknowledge to validate yeah but also to test you know to demonstrate to help you as a boy and a growing boy be, feel feel safe in unsafety feel safe in uncertainty to test yourself you know rites of passage that native tribes do it's where it's where they you know they take in the in the tribes they take the the son away from the mother and you know there's these tears but she knows that you know wherever he's taken whether it's into the forest or whatever whatever goes on whatever that rite of passage is he will come back a man he'll come back changed because he will be empowered he will understand that he can deal with whatever comes his way and with mothering with someone that's constantly if we get stuck in talking about our feelings as men and this is a really good thing if you're interested in talking about why in the UK, 92% of men that commit suicide are in therapy and talking about stuff. That would be a good thing to talk about if you're interested in that. The reason why we can't get stuck in our feelings as men is because that turns us into overly feminized men. And actually what we need, it's like boy psychology that it's okay to be stuck there. Actually what, what men gain from any kind of therapeutic process is feeling powerful, feeling like they can trust themselves. And also knowing that, you know, they have an idea of where they're going, even if it's not clear that they've got support and they can get there. You know, all they need to do is take the next step. So they need clarity, purpose, and to feel powerful. And the typical therapeutic process doesn't help women with that. So really, that's that's what fathering is about. So there's mothering and fathering. So getting to that point is is really what what men need to men need to reach in terms of getting getting support yeah okay some some fascinating stuff there uh, that stats is is an interesting one you mentioned around around suicide there so i wasn't aware of that not did you say 92 percent of of men who commit suicide are in therapy or they're in some kind of therapy or consultation and yeah. certainly in the states 85 percent of therapists are women right so That's a scary statistic yeah, and and you know, there's there's a lot in this, right? But it's down to the the kind of the kind of practice that that men are supported with as opposed to women, and they need again, they need to be different because they have different needs emotionally, mentally, physiologically, and what men need, they need to understand again that they are powerful, and for men, the word power can bring up a lot, right? Because we live in a world where a lot of men are using power in a very unhealthy way, whether they are leaders of gigantic pharmaceutical corporations or multinational oil and gas companies or whether they're politicians that are sending men to pointless wars. 
whether they're you know dismissing the harm that they're causing in the world and not taking accountability power power is 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 like a concept that like masculinity that is a difficult one to, to resolve for a lot of men right but actually when we are empowered then we can really uplift everyone around us because we can we can have integrity you know we can be accountable we can take ownership for our thoughts our words our actions we can apologize we can be role models we can say listen you know what i did there wasn't okay and i apologize i could do better yeah yeah indeed uh, listen i wanted to dig into some of the things that that are, are or some of the reasons or some of the main reasons why guys come to you today you know, this 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 uh you know this time of uh, you know of where we are in the world you know what are some of the yeah. key reasons people come to you when we emailed and we were talking corresponding before this interview we we a few things came you sent a couple of things back to me you said things like nice guy syndrome and lo lone wolfing being a couple of things <laughs> yeah, tell me a bit about them for starters well lone wolfing is um, is like the classic thing that a lot of men do and they don't realize they're doing it or they might realize they're doing it so it is where a man will try and handle everything himself because on some level he learned he received the message or absorbed it that it was up to him to take care of business to take care of everything himself but he may not have received guidance on how to do that and also we can you know we can move quickly on our own but um what are we going in the right direction and um, it's certainly a lot more enjoyable when we're not doing things on our own and the, the idea of the lone wolf is that someone doesn't need anybody else like i don't need anybody else like i've spoken to a few guys on on instagram and uh, like they they're setting themselves up to be coaches there's no irony in what they're missing here right they're setting themselves up to be coaches and yet they are not being coached they've not had any therapy they've not gone to anybody else for support what they're doing is picking up information from books no problem with this right or podcasts again no problem with that things they find on the internet but they are not like one of that <coughs> excuse me one of the men that i was talking to said he said something along the lines of you know my wife is my wife my girlfriend's a therapist and even she doesn't get the keys to my internal kingdom and um and what i thought about that was wow that must be really hard for you not to be able to share your heart with someone but listen i get the roots of that this sense of hyper independence that women also have by the way i don't need a man you know in the same way that i don't need anybody else it's the same thing it's wounding because when we were little when we were young the people that we were meant to trust to take care of us to guide us to nurture us to look after us and to listen to us to honor us to validate us to give us a sense of significance and belonging to show us empathy those people didn't do that consistently or they didn't do that at all so when we don't have that in childhood, we grow up not believing that we can trust other people, that we have to do things ourselves. So it's known as like hyper-independence. That's is the loan. So, sorry to interrupt. Is there a degree of pride in there as well? So you get guys, and I see it sometimes in the work environment, people who are who perhaps are reluctant to, to look for any other sort of input or any other advice or won't take any advice because they just believe they're right. And they've got this 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 inbuilt pride that you know I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know we could maybe we could redefine it and say that they're wearing a mask, that unconscious mask that they don't realise they're wearing, 
And the unconscious mask could be the invincible mask or the know-it-all mask. Yeah, same same thing. And underneath that um, is a fear of getting it wrong, a fear of not being right, a fear of other people being able to do it better, a fear of being seen as not having a shit together, a fear of um, being seen as not good enough, of not knowing everything, not being invincible, a fear of not being seen as a man, not being thought of as a man because we don't know everything that we need to know about everything, apparently. So there's, yeah, and that's there's a high level of insecurity underneath that. What I would say is there's a high level of boy psychology going on underneath, which causes causes them to wear this mask of inc- invincibility or know-it-all. What, yes. why, so some people might say, why is that a, why is that a bad thing? I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I get on with life. Why, why do I actually need to change that? Well, I mean, as long as you're, as long as you're happy and <laughs> what you're doing isn't leaving a trail of destruction around you, as long as you can be accountable and be honest with yourself and know that um, you have a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset, then you're going to contribute in a really meaningful way to the world. I suppose so you have where you don't have those things, where you, where you are. Yeah. Blinkered to the yeah. damage you are doing. Yeah. And that's, you know, we all have blind spots, right? And um, I include myself in that. And the the lone wolf thing is the, the, the antithesis, the opposite of the lone wolf is community. Uh, the strength of the pack is the wolf. And the strength of the wolf is the pack. And actually what we gain what we gain from community is a sense of connection. If you go back pre-industrial revolution when we lived in tribes, if you were booted out of the community, it equaled certain death, right? Because you would literally have to fend for yourself. And you'd either have to try and join another tribe or find another tribe, or you would just have to literally literally fend for yourself. You'd have to keep yourself warm, you'd have to hunt for yourself. And you would do that on your own, right? Yeah. So I see, uh, I, I read a fair bit about, uh, you know, various issues that are, that are impacting men. And I remember reading something recently about male friendships being on the decline. So people, men on the whole now, have fewer friends than they they than, than in past, in years past. So that community that you mentioned, for many men, is actually dwindling. And they are shrinking that community around them. So how 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 is that impacting men? What's happening on the what's happening there? Well, I mean, we're we our brains are hardwired for connection, and um, and when we don't have that connection, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. Dysfunction. We we will feel lonely. You know, we'll even in the company of people, we'll feel isolated because we won't have somewhere to take our stuff. We won't feel that it's safe to not be seen as having our shit together, you know, to have frailties or insecurities or worries. When we can speak of this stuff, oftentimes if we do it in an environment which is, you know, very trusting and and enabling, that's enough for most men. That's that's enough. And when we don't have that, we shrink within ourselves, we withdraw. When we withdraw, we see ourselves as not good enough. There's a lot of toxic shame, which is about the person. There's something wrong with me. The more we withdraw, the less we want to reach out. So that's what happens. It kind of creates a spiral where from that place of of not enough, we may look at other people um, and project onto them perhaps that 
things that that we don't like about the world that we don't like about the men we might go into victimhood into blaming but also we may we may pick up really unhelpful habits you know alcoholism drug taking um porn all of those kind of addictive behaviors which are rooted in and in insecure attachment when we're little those kind of things will come to the fore because we'll find a way to numb our pain this is it's, it's interesting as a, as a social animal as we are yeah that, that that men struggle so much when it comes to to reaching out to other men and forming friendships and especially new friendships especially if old friend, friendships fade away and you know men, I, you know I, you see it you know quite often with men struggling to find new male friends friends and and spiraling yeah. into, into decline as a result yeah and that's you know a lot of that is down to i would say it's a mixture of like the cultural conditioning that that we have as we've grown up again that we have to handle stuff as men on our own and we can't ask for help that talking about our feelings is bad makes us weak and um and also that we have some kind of unconscious insecure attachment style that we're not aware of which means that we will either avoid connection because we might feel that um, we're going to be rejected who we are fully or we might be really anxious about it we might it's a similar kind of thing you know we we might be a little bit too needy or pushy with our connections and that might put other people off yeah so with that i would say that's the context of that as well if if you grew up with secure attachment as a child you're going to make friends easily yeah you know you're going to move to a new place and make friends easily if you have a secure attachment in childhood and you feel isolated and you've got a lot of toxic shame there's something wrong with me people won't like me you you know you feel like an imposter you're already it's like gosh you've got so much to climb over to even get out the front door to then risk saying hello to someone who may be feeling the same or worse (laughs) and then they might they might not know how to receive someone who wants to be a friend because they're like holy shit what does this person want from me so all of this kind of stuff can be going on. So it's yeah. male interactions are interesting and tricky. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Tell me a little bit about nice guy syndrome. So how is being not being a nice guy an issue? <laughs> I love that. One of one of one of the guys in the man program said, "I thought the opposite of being a nice guy was being a dickhead. I thought that I had to be a nice guy, and that was me too, right? I thought that if." Um, if I made other people happy and took care of other people's needs, then everything would be okay. And that's that's not that's not the case. Being a nice guy is essentially the same as being a nice girl. It's like it's growing up believing that in order to get your needs met, you have to take other take care of other people's needs first. And that you have to not have any needs of your own. You have to self-abandon like abandon anything that you want to be doing in life in order to make other people happy and part of nice guy syndrome is that there are three covert contracts and i'll try and remember them the first covert contract essentially that means i'm gonna i'm gonna have an expectation but i'm not gonna tell you what that expectation in our relationship is but at the same time i'm gonna hold i'm gonna hold it again against you or resent you for not following through the expectation I have of you even though I haven't communicated that to you yeah so a covert contract might look like 
And this could be like a man, we'll just assume it's a man with a woman, right? If I um, meet your needs without you having to tell me, then you will meet my needs without me having to tell you. And um, at some point down the line, you will want to have sex with me because I'm meeting your needs. So there's like an ulterior motive. So essentially, nice guy syndrome is... It's a series of traits and for the male listeners and even the female listeners, because it will be similar for like nice girl syndrome, which is essentially people pleasing. I'll run through 10 traits and then the three covert contracts, covert contracts being again, um, if I do something, then you'll do it in return without me having to explicitly say that. So it's indirect communication. So, um, one of the first symptoms would be seeking approval from people. So seeking validation from other people. Men will do it, particularly from women. Even if they're gay, they'll go to great lengths to gain acceptance and avoid disapproval, which might look like avoiding conflict, which is the next one. They will do everything to avoid contract conflict. So people-pleasing might be being easygoing, you know, the guy who would just go along with anything, but inside actually is like, I don't want to do this. I'm really unfulfilled. Um, people pleasing. So going out of going out of your own way to meet the needs of others, often at the expense of your own well being. They're gonna struggle setting boundaries. Um, so again, they may fear that if they set a boundary which is like, This is okay, this is not okay, if this continues, then I'm gonna Maybe I'll leave the relationship or we can't be friends anymore or something. They feel that if they do that, they're going to be told that, you know, they're overly controlling, they're a toxic man or some kind of rejection or conflict. Covert contracts. I'll talk about those in a second. They're going to have covert contracts. There's going to be a fear of rejection. They're going to need external validation to boost their self-esteem. So other people's opinions, particularly women's, are going to make them feel good. So when they're told that they're a good man or they're very loving or they're very kind, actually they're going to get a boost versus that doesn't, that's nice to hear, but it doesn't, it doesn't change how they feel about themselves. You know, they already know that about themselves. A nice guy will also lack authenticity. So that could be someone who wears a mask doing something to maintain the perception so maybe you're just always being kind to people maybe you're always being considerate maybe you're the life and soul of the party you know maybe you're always the good listener so there's a disconnection from their own needs and there's a difficulty with the intimacy so they may struggle with vulnerability and openness fearing that revealing their true selves will result in rejection and yet the way they seek intimacy will be through sex. Like they'll feel, they'll feel that closeness when they're in the act of having sex, but then outside of that, they'll either feel anxious or avoidant. So this is linked again to the insecure attachment style. And then the final symptom of the 10 is passive aggressiveness. So this is where the covert contract isn't met. There's an expectation, there's an unmet need and resentment is gonna be there. You know, so passive aggression is, is just, it's just a classic thing that nice guys can, can resort to. So it might be uh, an example of that would be 
say um, say you shared something with maybe you took a photograph of like this this female friend that you're trying to date of her and then she shared it and then you might send her a direct message and say nice photo who took it like smiley wink emoji like even though that's subtle and it's funny it's like passive aggression it's like actually i want to feel important i want to be credited i want you to recognize and validate me and the covert contracts this is this is where a lot of men will will kind of feel a little bit sick in their mouths because they'll be like holy fuck okay. this is me okay so the first one is if i'm a nice guy then i'll be liked and loved and the women i want to have sex with will want to have sex with me if i'm a good guy then i'll be liked and she will want to have sex with me yeah I'm holding my hand up because that's how I used to operate, right? I'm a recovering nice guy. The second covert contract is if I meet your needs without you having to ask, then you're going to meet my needs without having to ask. Yeah, so I expect you to be telepathic. And on the retreat, I flipped it and said, you know, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a woman, you're like your partner or your wife saying to you, um, you've known me long enough. You should know what I need. You should know what I'm thinking. That's the same thing. Like it's indirect communication and direct communication is, I feel like this. I think like this, this is the support that I need right now. Can you do that? Do you have capacity to help me? That's direct communication. It's understanding that you have a need, understanding that you need to communicate it and then asking the person you're in a relationship with to support you with that. Whereas a nice guy can't do that because they're afraid of conflict because they learned when they were little that if they had a need, it would be shut down by their parents maybe by their mother, certainly by their father, or ignored. And the final COVID contract is, this is the worst one, right? If I do everything right, if I'm a nice guy to everybody, then I'm going to have a smooth and problem-free life. But life is naturally chaotic. Like We can't control this stuff. So if we're seeking security in the world and within ourselves in the world by being nice to everyone, we're screwed. Because life just isn't like that. So these are manipulative behaviours. You know, I, I'm going to give something in order to get something. How's that? That sounds uh, well. Thank you, thank you. That's that. I, I try to sort of go through all ten of those in my head at the same time. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. I, it's interesting to think. How do you think society impacts the nice guy at the moment? There. So the amount of the stuff that's going on in society. I'm, we talked to someone on the show recently about toxic masculinity and how damaging yeah. that term can be about how widely it is being used at the moment yes is is society sort of impacting on nice guys and, and making that problem worse for them i think it's not making it easier but my my belief is that this stuff this stuff is a result of masculine wounding that women experience and the boys growing up experience in their childhoods so yes society has something to do with it it certainly doesn't help them recover from being a nice guy but i would say the origins of this are actually in in unhealthy max masculinity some people will call it toxic i would say it's immature masculinity so men who don't understand what they need to do to be a man so they're not accountable so they'll go around hurting people they'll go around being verbally abusive emotionally abusive maybe physically abusive because they've been hurt and they haven't healed and they haven't been guided they haven't had role models so i would say that 
the people on the end of that, the women on the end of that, and the men on the end receiving end of that, will then think that that that's what being a man is, that's what being masculine is, and so they'll go the opposite way and think actually what I need to be is something different to get my needs met because that is what that power that dominance is what hurts i would say that's a big part of it and then the cultural part i think is also important you know feminism is is really a call to arms only as a result of dominant immature masculinity which which people call the patriarchy right and that does exist and yet the patriarchy and the culture surrounding that harms men as much as it harms women because it doesn't allow men to be powerful. It tells men that power corrupts. And it, and it doesn't. You know, power, again, when we are empowered, we trust ourselves to be able to deal with whatever life throws our way. If everybody was empowered, if everybody felt powerful, then they, would, they, would, they wouldn't be warring against each other. They'd be finding solutions. They'd figure stuff out together because they know that that's a healthy thing to do. So I would say culturally, it's culturally is a challenge because certainly when I was looking into masculinity and starting this journey of men's work about three and a half years ago, I was a nice guy and I thought that I had to rail against the patriarchy and rail against what I considered masculinity to be. But I didn't realize that I had a lot of wounding. I thought I'd figured it out. I thought that actually what I had to do was agree with women and agree with women's pain. While that's important, we also have to see that Women have to heal their wounds with a masculine. Men have to heal their wounds with a masculine. And when they do, then we can have integrity. We can be accountable. We can, you know, have ownership for our actions. But the media and if you think about the Western culture, it's like a Judeo-Christian culture, right, which is reward-punishment culture. Mm. And so our media is kind of the same, right? Reward and punish. It's like we will shame people. And when we shame them, we're shaming that person, we're damning that person, and there's no resurrection. There's no chance that they can change. There's no chance that they can learn and grow and heal. Yeah. yeah. So you're either for someone or against them, and that person is a bad person forever. So culturally, that as well, that's, to that's toxic. That's toxic shame. So when we toxic shame masculinity, that's toxic masculinity as well. Right. So that adds to it. Right. What about when it, I'm interested to see it, to hear your thoughts on on how or what you're seeing at the moment in terms of how all of this society culture, you know, changes over 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 the years. How that's impacting men of different generations of men. I've got to get my generations right right now. So you and I have Generation X, I think, probably. All right. And then you've got obviously younger younger guys, Gen Gen Z, and so on and so forth. Uh, who've grown up at a time we grew up with, you know, and lived through, you know, that culture of laddism through the 90s and into the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. That faded away and, and has, has, you know, thankfully gone. And, and you know, we're, we're now living through a, an entirely different time. Whereas yeah. younger younger men um, never knew that. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, I've grown up in, in a very different environment to, to that which we grew up in. How What impact are you seeing in, at the moment and, and sort of going into... 2024 as we are what how does that impact different generations do you think that's a good question i don't know i mean i know the solution and the solution is for you know it's a call to all men to be 
to do the work they need to do to heal the wounds that they have so that they can be role models for these young men, these teenagers growing up to show them what healthy masculinity is. That's what's needed. Um, and, you know, the Me Too movement and feminism, they're there for a reason, right? They're there because there's a lot of wounded masculinity that has wounded a lot of people. And it's it's the counterbalance for that. <laughs> and what we need is to break down, we need to break down the patriarchy but at the same time we need to break down feminism and break down the need for there to be feminism or the me too movement and the way we do that is by empowering men to be strong masculine men again in a way that is that is healthy for society that men have always needed to be in that women and people of different genders have always needed men to be you know fair just kind empowering uplifting you know, yeah. honest, transparent, accountable, men of integrity, men of their word, you know, men who take action and don't just say one thing and then do another. You know, when men do that consistently around the world, there won't be a need for anything other than that because we'll just be human beings living in harmony together. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I think that's that's the solution. I don't, I don't understand what the individual challenges of the younger generation are, but you know, if they if they don't have that in their lives in terms of boys and teenage boys and young men, then that's what they need from men. Yeah, it's I, always going to be the same. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know I'm a barber with a 13 year old son, so um, I know all about the challenges of of teenagers, and 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 obviously, I've got I know I have a role to play in in you know the man he turns out to be. Yeah, essential. I mean, you're 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 his model for for being a man, for being a father you're the one that he looks up to consciously and unconsciously so it's uh, it's a hell of a responsibility isn't it yeah pressure's pressure's on pressure's, pressure's on i'll tell you what it definitely is a challenge at times just getting him off the playstation is a big enough challenge anyway. yeah that you know that is hugely common <laughs> i would say that is one of the you know you're talking about challenges with mask i think disconnection and a lack of a lack of connection is a big thing that that teenagers are struggling with because you know they are their their brains are like attached they have a, a yeah. an anxious attachment or an insecure attachment to devices and stuff now that's a huge thing yeah and it's a very so, different world to to that which you know that I, I grew up in so so he he, he yeah you know he's much better there was a time where i could beat him on the playstation and and we'd, we'd play different games together that kind of thing now he's a million times better than i ever could possibly be on those kind of things yeah so, uh, you know and he's also you know he's just he's grown up in a di in a digital world and he you know so so he lives a digital life which is very different to how, how to how yeah. he's grown up and so that that in itself i think is a challenge for for men and fathers to get to yes. with to to yeah, put yourself in, the, in their shoes and live in that space yeah absolutely yeah big one Okay, let's, let's let's talk. Oh, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about that I made a note here actually to 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 talk to you about is is the term uh, anti fragility. So you, yeah, I, I saw you to use the term anti fragility on your yeah, I love that Instagram. Uh, and there's a new one on me anti, anti fragility. So tell me a bit about that and how diff how is it different to resilience? Anti fragility is I might get knocked down. I might have an experience of making a mistake. I might fail, fail meaning first attempt in learning, um, and I might feel sorry for myself. However, while I'm down, I look at what part I've had to play in this. So I look at accountability. 
rather than being a victim, rather than life is tough. I mean, life is tough, right? But rather than it being about the government or Bill Gates or whatever, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't have an impact on it on us because it does, but it's a disempowered state. Yeah, when we're coming from a disempowered state, we we it's difficult to feel powerful. Whereas anti fragility is we we reframe what's going on for us. We're like, oh, oh, I'm being a bit of a victim here. What's that about? We get curious about our part. You know, why we got to this place in the first place. Like, what happened? What did I do to contribute to this? Was it my thinking? Was it wrong thinking? Mm. Okay, and now I'm down here feeling sorry for myself, feeling like I've got this whole mountain to climb. Is there a lesson in this? Like, am I willing to be humble, humble enough to find a lesson? What could that lesson be? Okay. Actually, what happened was I was taking it personally or I was in my head and I didn't look where I was going and my motorcycle, you know, hit the rabbit or whatever, you know, whatever it is that we're struggling with. And then we found the lesson. And what we say then is, okay, this is going to make me stronger. Like I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a stronger, stronger man or woman. I'm going to understand myself better. I'm going to understand this situation. Next time it comes up, I got a better idea of the environment and how I interact with it and react with it. I have new data, new coordinates, which means that I'm empowered to do something differently. So now I'm more powerful because of the learning, because I've been humble and I've seen where I've contributed to this. Then I can learn from my mistakes, not repeat them, and I can move forward. Cool. That's anti-fragility. So it's about getting the empowerment through humility yeah i like that so that's a great term i hadn't heard it before until i'd seen it on on your on your insta but i like it i like it as a term i can see i can see how it's different to resilience now tell me if somebody wants to learn a bit about anti-fragility or they want to they realize from listening to this they may be a bit of a nice guy or might be a bit of a lone wolf (laughs) and they like the idea of coaching rather than therapy where should they turn where should they go what's their first point of call I'm waving my hand here. Hi, if you're interested, if, if what you've, if what you've heard from me resonates and you think you'd like to get to know me more, then, um, you can just, you can find me on social media, either at the man program or, um, Andy J Nathan. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise just find a coach that resonates with you. Um, in terms of, in terms of if you're a man and you want to explore this more, this is the stuff that I do both in one-to-one coaching and within the man program. And yeah, if you reach out, I can let you know how you can get involved in the man program. We have another round of our six month program kicking off on the 15th of April. And in February and March, there are going to be free webinars that you're welcome to join. If you follow my Instagram accounts. And aside from that, I have a podcast where we talk about these kind of things as well. And you can, you can kind of get support that way. And the other thing that I would say is, um, if you don't live near me is find a men's group that you can join, you know, a men's circle or go on a men's retreat. If you don't live in the UK, if you do live in the UK, I've got a men's retreat coming up at the end of May. But if you're not near me and you want to try something like that, men's walking and talking groups, men's circle, men's group, that kind of thing. There are tons of groups on Facebook. 
even a men's do a cold water dipping group in Edinburgh. Something like that would be really helpful, just where you connect to other guys and learn that being around other guys is a safe thing to do where you're not going to be judged and you're not going to be told that you need to man up or that you're not good enough. Cool. Great. Well, listen, I'll put all the links to all, all your social with the website and everything in the show notes as well so people can, can head there and, and, and get all the links and come to you directly. So thank you for that, Andy. I've got to end with one last question. In terms of we're talk, when we're, talk, we're talking middle of middle of January here, a whole of twenty twenty four ahead of us. What's the one sort of piece of sort of general advice you'd give to to guys listening to this in terms of how to make the most of the the year ahead? Don't loan wolf it. Nice, nice. We all have blind spots. I have blind spots, you know. And again, you know the the strength of the wolf is in the pack. Absolutely. You know, we're better, nice. we're better together. We learn so much from other people. Yeah, absolutely. And we've learned a lot from you. Andy, thank you very much. I really appreciate you, you taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll just keep in touch and uh, speak soon. All the best. Thank you, Tim. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Andy Nathan for giving us an insight into what men's coaching is all about. And if you'd like to find out more about Andy and how you can get in touch with him, you'll find all the links to his website and social media in the show notes. You'll also find our episode question there too. And this time we want to know, has being too much of a nice guy ever held you back or caused you anxiety? Our yes, no poll meanwhile asks, have you reached your full potential? You can answer both of these on the Spotify episode page, the link to which can be found in the show notes, through the Linktree site in the show profile, or the Bravefront website. As ever, you can also interact with the show by sending us a voice message. So tell us what you think of our guests and the subjects we're discussing. You can also tell us your ideas, topics and things you'd like us to cover too. Again, just head to the episode notes, the Linktree site, or the Bravefront website for more details and the link to do so. And finally, if you've enjoyed the show, Please leave us a review and follow us on whatever platform you usually get your podcasts. Every review and every follow helps other people to find the show. In the meantime, though, look after yourselves and I'll see you soon. Take care.